Dharma Howard. Mary Blair. Alice Davis. To the sixth episode of the Disney 8. It's May 23rd, 2018, and I have the absolute luxury to be joined by my good friend, my brother, my buddy. It's glad to have you back. Jason, what is going on, my friend? I'm doing good, man. I am glad to be back, glad to be sitting in the co-pilot seat and ready to do this. Yeah, I missed you last week. You know, that's the one thing that uh, happens when we travel is if we don't have the chance to record an episode beforehand, you know, we have to take a week off. I just, I, you know, got to have you here, man. I can't do this without you. I need you. This is, uh, this has been a very fun project, and I'll be honest with you, uh, I, 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 I'm thrilled that you invited me to come along for the ride. I really am. You know, it's been just such a over. I'm going to use the word overwhelming, and I don't like that word, but an overwhelming in a good way. Uh, amount of information that we've both taken in over this process, and we've looked at you know, these amazing women and we've, we've journeyed through their lives and through their, um, contributions to the Walt Disney company and come out the other side. I think better people for it because they really impacted not only Disney company, but impacted the world in such a fantastic way that I think everyone can take a small lesson from each individual woman we've looked at. Absolutely. And I think the biggest thing that drives home with me is this is a story that needs to be told. And I know it's being told, but it's not, being screamed at the top of the mountain. And in my opinion, every one of these Disney 8, they need to be told over and over again because they're that essential to the growth of Disney core. Yeah, and you know, we we talked about the fantastic Mary Blair on the last episode. And the one thing about Mary is, you know, she went to uh, the own beat of her drum. She made sure to stick to her standards, to what she wanted. And even though that wasn't popular within the Disney community uh, there, you know, at the Hyperion Studios, uh, she still stuck to that. And that ended up taking her further in life. And I think that's a great life lesson to take is if you know you're right and you know that you love what you're doing and you love the way you're doing it, then stick to it, even if it's not a popular opinion at the time. Never change who you are. That's what I got from her. Be, be yourself, period. Especially an artistic side of the house. She created such incredible things. Listen, uh, the small world, you know, because I was down in Walt Disney World last week and we had lunch at the Contemporary. It, it's the, the mural that's in there. I never will look at anything that Mary Blair had her hands on. I will never look at the same. I look at it on a more personal level because 
I know Mary Blair now. Yeah, and I think that's important. I think that, I hope that everyone that's listening, when you're listening to this, these shows and you're taking the 30 minutes to an hour, you know, however long we're spending on these people to really dive into lives, I hope that's what you're doing too, as you not only look at the Disney parks, but maybe Disney animation, Disney movies, even Disney merchandise, and the impact these people had on all of those ventures that throughout the Disney company. It really has changed the way I look at the Disney company as well. Because before this, you know, I had read about a lot of these people and I had studied them, not to this extent, but now looking back, you know, I've sp- we've spent almost two months with these people. And now looking back, I can honestly say that I'm overwhelmed by what these women brought to the Disney company. So if you haven't had a chance, go back to the last episode, listen to Mary Blair, listen to about her life, how she uh, got into the Disney company, how she changed Disney animation, changed the way they do things with costuming, uh, things like that, and uh, and really spend that time with her. Uh, but that's you know that was last week. This week we have a whole new person to shine our light on and to honor with this week's episode of the Disney 8. Our story starts in Rome, Italy in September of 1900, where a little girl named Bianca Mazzioli was born. Now, Bianca came to the United States and ended up going to the same high school Walt Disney did, McKinley High. And her French teacher, Josephine Mack, changed her name to Blanche Majoli. Now, she never knew Walt Disney other than remembering him coming to the school with his uniform on before he departed for World War I. But during her midterms, when she was graduating, she did hand Walt her graduation book, and he did draw a picture in it for her. After high school, she continued her passion for art and continued her schooling. She ended up at the Art Institute of Chicago. She ended up at the Art Students League in New York, the Leonardo da Vinci School in New York. With her passion of art and the direction of continuing her school, she had ended up in numerous careers using her art. Notably would be Earnshaw Publications, where she was tackling fashion assignments, and that took her all around the world. She was such an amazing woman, even at an early age, but I want to take you five years in the future, to 1934, on April the 1st, and uh, she had been with the J.C. Penney Company, where she decides to actually send a letter to Walt Disney, who she hadn't talked to since high school. And uh, I want to take some time to read you this letter. Dear Walt Disney, It cannot be 17 years ago, and yet it is, since the days of McKinley High School. It seems to me that somewhere I've a girl grad book full of little things you drew. And it seems to me that you were a rather sweet, fair-haired lad of 14, quite eager to do nice things for people. During these years, you have done so many great things, while I've remained quite humble. At any rate, you surely do not remember me in the least. Being rather a bad artist, I've had a hand of all sorts of art and have spent the last three years being art director for a department store chain. If you can do so without causing yourself too much inconvenience, Please arrange to see me sometime. I'm only five feet tall and I don't bite. I have a pantomime cartoon strip that I'd like very much to market and you might be able to give me some information since my knowledge of the comic strip market is very limited indeed. Now, Walt receives her letter. You have to think, how much guts does it take this woman to write this man who is known worldwide, you know, to, to, to be able to say, Walt... You know, I know you didn't know me much, but I'd like for you to take a minute for do this. And what does it say about the man that only on a, a few days later, he sends a letter back to her, 
you know, telling her, I'd love to see these letters. It's going to be tough for you to make it out to me. I'm in California. I'm sorry that we're so far apart, but I'd love to see your comic strips and maybe I can help you if you'll send them. Well, you know, and, and I, what I really love about that is Walt Disney was such a personal person back then. Could you imagine Walt Disney was alive today? Uh, the millions of letters that he would be receiving, you know, so... Can you imagine Walt Disney on Twitter? <laughs> I'd find much humor in that. I, that would be amazing. I, really I mean, I, you know, you know, actually, you know what? And I'm going to completely take us off the rails right now, but we'll come back. Walt Disney would remind me of somebody like Elon Musk, who is, you know, an innovator for his time. But it's active with common people on Twitter. Like he'll he'll interact with people constantly on Twitter. And uh, but I think that's the way he'd be. I think if you came to him with a an idea or a positive thought or you know something that he found interesting, it wouldn't even be something about the Disney company. I think that Walt would be one of those people that would respond to me. I think he would find Twitter so fascinating because he always responded to all the letters that he received. By hand, can you imagine just at the click of a button being able to do that? I think it's it's fantastic, and that was another thing about Walt was, you know, he he was always open to those ideas. He because he knew, you know what I mean. He just knew innovation. He knew he could smell it. You know, and speaking of the letters, Bianca, they go back and forth with their letters, reminiscing about childhood and about high school. Uh, but Bianca actually on April twenty fifth sends writes back and sends Walt uh, some copies of her. Uh, animation and Walt to his true form gets back to her right away and is blatantly honest with her about what her animation is and the potential it possibly has. Walt says, I have received the sample strips. I have looked them over and I believe they contain some very cute and clever ideas, but at the same time, I do not feel they are done up in a quite professional style. However, on the strength of the ideas alone, I've taken the liberty of writing my friend Mr. J.V. Conley of King Feature Syndicate, asking him to look over the strips and give them consideration, and if possible, to give you an interview. In 1934, thanks to Walt, Bianca did have a meeting with Conley, but it just didn't work out. They were unable to strike that deal that she was looking for. Now remember, it's still the Great Depression, and she's still looking for work. She created a cartoon strip about a girl named Stella. This was a, a strip about the girl who was looking for work and trying to find a job. And at the end of the strip, there would always be a small twist where she just didn't get the job. And she also created another strip called Benny. Now, Bianca was contemplating a trip over the Orient, And as she was thinking about this, she thought about Walt Disney and his L.A. cartoon studio. And she wrote him a letter February 11th, 1935. This is a point in Bianca's life where things just start escalating and, and moving on. And around February 13th, Walt and Bianca have lunch together at the Tam O'Shanter. And this is one of Walt's favorite restaurants. It's in LA. And this is where Walt offers her a position right on the spot. Yeah, no, and she goes. And uh, the one thing that you have to realize is that this time, this this changes the Disney company forever because up until this point, all of your story artists have been male. Of course, females have been hired at Disney, uh, the Disney Studios, but they were all pointed to the ink and paint department. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a, a division between the two. And uh, he sees her talent and he sees 
her drive and he hires her right away, which uh, which is really an amazing thing. But the one thing about him hiring her is that it's under an, a guise of an internship. So brings her on at $18 a week, which is by far lower than every all the other males that are story artists for the Disney company that are making upwards of $75 and $85 a week. But, you know, she when she approaches this, Jason, she comes to it as, I'm going to grow not only my talent, but I'm going to work out of the love of art. You know, I've always loved this. I've wanted to be in this business. Now I have the opportunity. And, uh, and that's just exactly what she does as she enters a very masculine uh, story department at the Disney Studios. And, you know, when you talk about being a first female of anything, you're a pioneer. You have changed uh, the road. You've laid the path for all the, the other women behind you. And that path sometimes, whenever you're laying it, um, just from doing research on all these women, is not easy. You run into obstacles. You run into hurdles. And it's a really tough road. And, you know, that can be trying on the hardest of people. And I think that Bianca learns that really quickly as she becomes part of the Disney company. You know, she's in close quarters with... Uh, the other Disney animators. She is being surrounded by, you know, let's let's be honest, a male sense of humor that at the time wouldn't have crossed over to the female uh, uh, way of looking at things um, with the cursing and the way that they were they would blow off steam, as Walt would say. And the one thing she had to do was really learn her way and learn to be loud and to get her point across because. You know, she would she would write down ideas, but she had to learn to get out there and and scream her ideas and be a part of these meetings and to really get get out there. And the one thing she hated was she hated being a part of the the gag comedy. You know, up until this point, Disney animation had really concentrated on gags. You know, you're looking at Donald Duck, you're looking at Goofy, you're looking at these uh, these cartoons where it's all gag based. And uh, she she didn't she didn't like that she didn't understand it really she wasn't a big fan of it and uh, this made the other animators kind of look at her in a negative light and so whenever you're looking at a woman who has come into not only creating a field for a entirely different sex but is also um, coming in and she's trying to throw ideas out that these other guys have never thought about before I really want somebody to put themselves on her shoes this is a time where None of the stuff, the locker room talk, the guy talk, the guy actions, none of that would fly today at all. You'd have a bunch of people losing their jobs. This is a guy that's not only afraid to break gender roles in the uh, Disney studios and and, in the workplace, um, but also break racial barriers and things like that. And uh, there's a great quote that he said to um, one one of the artists that came after Bianca. Her name's Grace Huntington. And he told her, he said, you know, the one thing about Walt, he's always been an honest person. He's going to tell you what to expect and what you're going to walk into. He's not going to feed you lies to make you feel good. And he told Grace flat out, he said, I quote, it is difficult for a woman to fit in this work. Uh, The men will resent you. They swear a lot. That is their relaxation. They have to relax in order to produce gags. And you can't interfere with that relaxation. If you're easily shocked or hurt, it is just going to be bad. And Grace said, Walt was right. It was going to be difficult to fit. It was a big jump from my sheltered life to the business world fully, uh, full of men. Not because the men resented me. They were nice to me, but I was getting, but I was strange and I knew had to be one of them uh, if I was going to stick. And I think Bianca felt the same exact way. But even with that, Jason, 
I want to tell you this. Everyone has their breaking point. You know, everyone has, you can have the thickest skin imaginable, but after a while, you're eventually going to break. And in 1936 into 1937, we start to see the breakdown of Bianca Majoli with the Disney company. And uh, the year 1936 had to have been just a insanely stressful year for her. Uh, Bianca spends a ton of time uh, working on a lot of different projects, uh, from Goldilocks and Three Bears to um, Japanese Symphony and the abandoned project Ballet of the Floors. Uh, you know, she creates all of these different projects, and the problem is every single one of them gets axed. Every single one of them gets pushed to the side. None of it makes the table. And uh, in a storyboard meeting that she had on January 25th, 1937, uh, it actually came to a breaking point, and they, she puts her storyboard out there, and Walt comes in, and of course, you know, he, she's held to the same standard that all the men are, and he walks in, he's not happy with it, and he rips the storyboard up and throws it on the ground. And Bianca heads straight back to her room, she locks herself in, and uh, Roy Williams, who was a big, uh, big masculine uh, animator there at the company, uh, he says, we can't let this go on, and he actually breaks down the door to her office, and she's leaning over her desk, depressed, and she just couldn't take it anymore. And she was ready to quit the Disney company right then. And I don't think Walt, I think he knew that she was having a hard time. Uh, there's a question, you know, now I'm assuming, does he do something for her? Does he make it uh, easier on her? Of course, I don't think he does. Of course, you know, I think Walt had a hand in everything, but he's holding her to that same standard of everyone else. But uh, a few months later, she gets back on her feet and she decides to take kind of a sep- a different path uh, with the Disney company, and she moves to more of a story analysis than a story development and a story um, animator. And so she starts spending time with the Disney company doing research for future stories they're going to do, and that's where she will change the Disney company forever. Hey, Justin, I want to back up a little bit, and you talk about gag-driven um, slapstick humor. Uh, you know, this is the stuff that guys are laughing at. I mean, our our, our, our kids have probably the same humor now with with bathroom jokes and you know what I mean they're just it's it's funny to a point but it was missing a key element that Bianca brought to the company and that was the sensitive side to it she actually had a cartoon called Elmer Elephant that was put into a silly symphony cartoon she she brought that she brought that element of warmth and affection and she brought that mom aspect to this yeah, and there's a great quote by the absolutely, you know, the Disney legends, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston, where, you know, it wasn't until after her contributions that they realized, they said, we could not have made any of the feature films without learning this important lesson. Pathos gives comedy the heart and warmth that keeps it from becoming brittle. And all they mean by that is, if you don't have a sensitive side, you can't build a story that will, in the long run, can have a, a humorous side to it, too. And, you know, we start to see the development of characters that are uh, based on storylines that are sensitive. You know, you're looking at things like Dumbo. You're looking at things like Bambi. You know, all these storylines are based on heartfelt emotional feelings because without Bianca Majoli, you don't have a sensitive attraction to a character. You don't have that, that you're, you know, you get the fuzzies, you get, you know, your heart lights up and says, 
I, you know, I love this character. I want them to succeed. I want them to uh, find happiness. And within that succeeding and finding happiness and working through strife and through misery, uh, you know, you can throw in all those gags and you can throw in all those funny little things. Um, when we look back at uh, Dumbo, like tripping over your ears, you know, it's a funny gag. But still, Dumbo was still the character that Bianca, uh, in, you know, dreamed about and envisioned with that. And without her, we don't have that. So I, I, I just think if you're looking at one person who changed Disney animation, she has to be the one because even now, let's take a brand new, let's take Moana and you're looking at baby Moana and you're looking at teenage Moana as she's growing. And if you don't have an emotional attachment to that character, you don't care if she succeeds throughout the film. And that all stems back, you know, almost 90 years to be, you know, to, or 80 years to Bianca Majoli and what she brought to Disney animation. Carlo Collati was the author of The Adventures of Pinocchio. However, it was not in English. And in 1937, Walt Disney commissioned Bianca to translate it into English. So as she's translating Pinocchio, you know, she, she's keeping in mind that they want to make a slapstick. They want to make a gag animation out of this movie. They want to make it funny. And she's getting deeper into the translation and she realizes this is not what the story is. This story is about a boy who is never going to be human, who is never going to have the joys of being a little boy, but yet he is a little boy in all aspects. You know, she's feeling what Pinocchio really is, and she realizes that this is the kind of animation that needs to be made, not the slapstick side of it. And with that, she changes Pinocchio forever, and it's a completely different movie as a result of her. She brings an element of warmth, compassion, empathy. She brought all that to Pinocchio and for the better, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, she... Look, when we look at all these storylines, she is... The one thing she does is it wasn't the fact that her animation was better than everyone else's that wasn't what pushed her to the top it wasn't the fact that she was an innovator with animation she was an innovator with the ability to look at stories and find the heart and find what people could connect to and what would make every mom and dad and child and person uh, that went to the theater connect to that person and say i want them to succeed she had that ability and that's how she changed Disney animation forever and we look back at things like Bambi and she not only changes you know with the heart of the story but she introduces something brand new that Disney animation would use up until present day and what she does is she comes up with a system to file uh, 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 animated pictures and real pictures together to where if someone needs to see what a uh, forest on fire looks like they can go and they can look that up right away instead of looking through 40 different books to try to find it'll all be in one space and they can go and they can see and it just makes the animation process so much smoother and so much quicker um but you know as we talk about bianca we talked about the hardship she was she had whenever she started the disney company and of course you know that hardship followed her as she went you know she kind of had her ups and downs her mountains and her valleys like we all do and uh you know one of the valleys was on her last day at the studio on June 1st, 1940. And she explained to John Kmaker years later, I went on a long vacation. When I came back, my desk was occupied. It happened abruptly, and no one told me. I did run into someone in the hall who said, You know you're fired. I was so happy to break away from Disney. 
she still continued to be an artist and a storyteller. In 1946, while there in Chicago, she continued to do illustrations. And with her husband, Carl Heilborn, who she married in 1942, they opened the Heilborn Studio Gallery, where she played ceramic sculptures and she promoted international artists. And I find that fascinating that, that she was there um, working with other artists to try to, to make their careers take off. You know, the cool part was this is right down the street from the Hyperion Studios. You know, and that's the one thing about uh, Bianca is she knew what she liked. She knew the type of art she wanted to do. She, you know, her and her husband had that love. And the fact that she, they created this studio to pass on their love to others and to inspire other artists and be able to display the other artists' work and uh, build up that next generation of artists is uh, says a lot about her and a lot about the community. I think that you always uh, you always reach down to, to help people up. You know, you never you never pull pull people down. So I think that's one of those great things that she lived by and she did. Now Bianca dies September 6, 1997 at a glorious age of 97 years old. And you know the thing is when we when I was first reading this Justin, you know, she died in 1997. I was like, "Wow, that really wasn't that long ago." <laughs> yeah. It it really wasn't. I mean, that was within our time frame. You know, it was like all these greats are passing away just just out of reach of us being able to shake their hand, you know? Yeah, no, you're right, and I tell you, it, when you talk about a Disney legend, Bianca is there. She is one of those people who, you know, when I think about the Disney greats, as I'm using air quotes, um, you know, if you're asking 99% of Disney fans who Bianca Majoli is, they'd probably say they've never heard that name before, and I think that's why this show is so important, is to come out and to give these people a spotlight to talk about what they've done and how they've changed Disney animation forever. And with Bianca, it's really been an amazing thing. Because, you know, it's funny, Jason. When we first were coming up with the eight women and we were talking about this, and I remember I sent you the list, the the, the first list we went through, and Bianca's on there. And uh, I, told, I told you, I said, you know, this is one that it's kind of hard to find information about Bianca. And I really had to dig deep, read a few books, really get in there to really learn about this woman. And I'm glad I did. I am so glad that we spent the time to honor her, uh, her life, her, her dedication to her craft, her love of animation, and, uh, and what, what she brought to the Disney company. Because I think that she deserves for everyone to know the name Bianca Majoli as they watch Disney films, enter Disney parks, think about Disney as a whole. I agree. I couldn't say it any better. Well, buddy, it's been an absolute blast. I, uh, I enjoy this. It, you know, I hated missing last week. I always hate missing an episode, but I, I couldn't do it without you, and I needed you here, and I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you had a great Disney trip. Uh, but before we do that, you know, we not only like to look into the past, we like to look into the present and the future. This week, we honor Amy Jupiter, uh, part of the current Disney 8. Amy, oh, what an amazing woman, uh, has a background in film, animation, visual effects, and uh, she's currently an executive producer with the Walt Disney Imagineering. Uh, but the cool part about her and what I really love is that she started her career as an intern and then worked her way up to executive media producer and visual effects supervisor for attractions uh, in every corner of the Disney globe. Um, dude, she's worked on some amazing projects, including Jim Henson's Muppet Vision 3D, um, the Magic Lamp Theater for Tokyo Disney Sea, Pirates of the Caribbean, Battle of the Sunken Treasure at Shanghai, 
Um, and actually, uh, if you are uh, loving the new Pandora world of Avatar at Disney's Animal Kingdom, she is one of the people responsible for that amazing project that is brought to us there at Walt Disney World. And uh, she actually won a Vessel Award, a prestigious Vessel Award, from the Visual FX Society for Outstanding Visual Effects in a Special Venue for her work on the new uh, Pirates at Shanghai Disneyland. And uh, something you can do, too, if you're heading out to Disneyland, head over to Disney's California Adventure. Check out Mission Breakout because she is the one who brought that to that fantastic park. So, Amy, thank you so much for your dedication to the Disney Company and for all of the things you have brought. And you are part of the Disney 8 this week. Jason, I've had an absolute blast. It's so much fun to spend time with you talking about these amazing women of the Disney Corporation. And uh, I tell you, buddy, we're coming to an end on this show and I want to take some time to say, you know, when I came to you with this, I think we can be honest, everyone. I am an insane Disney historian. And when I first thought about this and I thought about me and you, I thought, I don't know if Jason's really going to be interested. But I think that I've watched you grow with your Disney historic passions over these last six weeks. I think the biggest thing that I'm going to be taking home from this is my pocketbook is going to hurt because there are places I need to see, museums I need to go to, um, because I, that's the that's the kind of person I am. When you give me information like this or I learn something, I need to see the home that they grew up in. I need to be in the hometown, you know, because I like to stand where they stood and I like to feel what they felt. So if anything, I'll start sending my travel bills to you, the Suter household. Okay. Fair enough? I got you. <laughs> Got you covered, buddy. <laughs> buddy, it's been a blast, and we'll be back next week for another episode of the Disney 8. Have a good night. Good, good night, buddy.